0: Oh, really? Vampire! We we'll <laughs> Count Dracula, I am... Dracula. And I bid you welcome, Mr. Hart, to my heart. Come. Our first award goes to the vampire for most blood drained in a single evening. The strength of the vampire is that people will not believe in him. Good evening, my fellow vampire lovers. The sun is going down, and you know what that means. It's time for me to record another episode of my podcast, The Beautiful Dead. As always, I'm your host, Lena Nazari. You can find me at lenanazari.com. See links to all my social media. You can old school it and just email me. That's lena at lenanazari.com. I do respond to everybody who reaches out to me on social media or via email. Uh, And if you get a response, that is me. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast, rate, review it, share it with your friends, post it on your social media. It helps people find us. Um, I've been getting some good results from TikTok. Some people have found us via TikTok, so who who would have thought that would be a thing? Having some fun on there. But let me tell you, I'm having the most fun right now on Instagram. I am posting daily surveys, vampire related of course. We're on there talking about who our, who our sexiest vote is. We're talking about best hero, worst hero, best vampire families, uh, couples. I'm We're having so much fun. So thank you to everybody who's been voting on those. I've been having a blast doing them. I love seeing how they turn out. And uh, if you haven't gotten, uh, get on Instagram, follow the Beautiful Dead podcast and um, vote. And like I said before, if you're voting after the results are posted and I see a big change in who wins, I'm gonna post some updates because I think they've earned that, right? So it's not too late to get on there and vote for your favorite vampire or vampire location or vampire family. And uh, if there's something you would love to see me post a little poll about, let me know. I'm open to ideas, but man, are we having fun on Instagram right now. So come and join us. If you've never listened to the podcast before, massive spoiler alerts. I'm going to ruin everything. Who hooks up with who? Who breaks up with who? Who kills who and how do they die? I'm, I'm going to talk about it all. And uh, if you haven't seen these particular movies and you're about 20 years behind, no judgment, but... Uh, pause. Go watch Blade 1, Blade 2, and Blade Trinity and then come back and listen. So uh, this is a continuation of last week. We're doing Marvel Does Vampires. Last week I talked about uh, Morbius. But this week, buddy, am I excited to talk. So same universe, which still I'm having a hard time believing, but Marvel Does Vampires Part 2. This is the Blade Trilogies. So we have Blade 1, blade two and blade trinity and they came out the first one came out in 1998 uh, and then i believe it was 2002 and 2004 were the follow-ups holy casting list my goodness um so i am not gonna i'm not gonna do like a big fat summary i'm not gonna summarize all three movies that that's just too much Uh, i already have five pages of notes in front of me so um let's talk about the cast So, of course, Wesley Snipes plays Blade. Chris Christopherson plays Whistler. Um, Those two are in all three of the films. Then we have Ryan Reynolds, who plays Hannibal King. Dominic Purcell plays Drake. Tony Curran, who plays Priest. Thomas Kretschmann, who plays Damaskinos. Norman Reedus, who plays Scud. Stephen Dorff was Deacon Frost. Udo Kier was Dragonetti. Jessica Beale was Abigail Whistler, and Parker Posey played Danica Talos. And the reason I mentioned some of those people, even though um, they didn't have the biggest of parts, is because we have some major vampiric crossovers, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Udo Kier, who was in the first one, he plays Dragonetti, was also in Blood Rain in 2005. He was in Dracula 3000 in 2004, Shadow of the Vampire in 2000, and a TV movie called Modern Vampires in 1998. So he's done a bunch of vampire stuff. Uh, Thomas Kretschmann, who plays Damaskinos, who is sort of the head bad guy in the second one. um, He played Van Helsing in 2013 Dracula TV series, and then played Dracula in Dracula 3D in 2012. So he's played both hunter and hunty. Tony Curran, who plays Priest in the second one, um, plays a vampire in a movie called Eat Locals, which I'm going to do soon because it's one of my favorite lesser known vampire movies. So we are going to talk about this one, but as soon as he walked on screen, I was like, wait a second. Um, Christopher Heyerdahl, I believe is how you say his name. Again, he played this tiny little part in Blade 3, and as soon as he came on screen, I was like, "Holy crap." He he was a vampire in vampire I'm sorry, he was in Vampire Diaries. He was a uh, in Van Helsing. He was in um in Twilight as one of the Oh my god, you guys are probably screaming at me right now, but <laughs> he was in the um the group of vampires that was sort of in charge of everybody. I want to say Illuminati, but they weren't the Illuminati. They were the ones who were going after, um, uh, Bella and Edward's daughter when they thought that she was, uh, a, a vampiric child. Man, it's going to pop in my head. I prob- you guys are screaming at the mic right now. I bet. Um, Anywho, he was on that council and it's the name of them is going to pop in my head when I'm not trying to think about it, but also he was in supernatural, which is my favorite TV show. So when he walked on screen, I was like, Holy cow, the guy's done a lot of vampire stuff. Uh, Wesley Snipes does not play a vampire in other things per se, but he actually plays blade in what we do in the shadows. When the vampiric council comes to town, he plays blade. And then, um, Donal, 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 um, Logue, he, he actually plays himself as a vampire in what we do in the shadows. And he tells the vampires, he comes to like a party and he goes, Oh yeah, a vampire saw blade and loved it so much. They turned me into a vampire. So that was just like a fun play on anybody who knows blade. Uh, so, all right, I'm getting super distracted because the more I talk about different vampire movies and actors who have done multiple vampire things, I get excited and then I get distracted. So, we are going to move on. Um, so, really quick synopsis for anybody who does not know the backstory of Blade. Blade is a dampier and we talked about this with... Um, Blood rain, Dampiers are half-human, half-vampire. And Blade was created when his mother was nine months pregnant. She was attacked and bitten by a vampire. And so she shows up in the ER. They do like an emergency C-section. He's born and um, he is now infected, quote-unquote, with the vampiric virus. At 13, Whistler, who was a man who had been hunting vampires since they killed his family finds Blade and recognizes what he is so Whistler takes him in creates a serum that suppresses Blade's bloodlust which is the one big downside to this condition of his but the upsides are that he has their strength their agility their healing abilities um, and he can be in the sun unlike the other vampires so the vampires call him Daywalker And so he was raised by Whistler to be this ultimate vampire hunter. And uh, in the first movie is on the hunt for the vampire who attacked his mother. Um, But then continues the quest as the movies go on and has various humans that help him fight vampires and create equipment to fight vampires. They're sort of his posse. So that, in a very, very watered down nutshell, is the Blade series, the three movies. So um, let's talk a little bit about the vampires in this universe. So again, it's really hard for me to understand how Morbius and Blade could exist in the same universe, but they're not too clear about timelines. So um, I'm not going to go too far into that because it just logically doesn't make sense because it doesn't make sense because the blade series came out and it started in 1998. Um, so by the time Morbius comes around, there should be freaking vampires everywhere, but I don't, we're not going to question that. Okay. We're just going to hang that logic up. We're going to put it away and just pretend. So let's talk about this universe. Their relationship with humans in this world is that vampires have human servants who are marked or like branded with a vampiric symbol that they call a glyph. And that shows which vampires they belong to. And the human servants kind of do their bidding in the hopes that they're going to become vampires themselves. There are also um, humans who know about vampires and hunt them down. Like I said, they're with blade and there's these little like sleeper cells that fight vampires but for the most part most humans don't know vampires exist now some of the vampires want to coexist with humans but some of them just see the humans as cattle they just see them as food they see themselves as superior to humans they don't understand why they're being told to like keep their existence under wraps they would rather just go out and slaughter humans freely and be like what we live and we're better than you so what are you going to do about it Blade, like I said, is a hybrid, so he's half vampire, half human. Um, he has vampire strength, he has fangs, and the bloodlust, um, but he can be in the sun, He silver doesn't bother him, garlic doesn't bother him, and he ages like a human. Um, and like I said, this happened when his human mother was pregnant and attacked, uh, and then later, towards the end of the first movie, we find out that she was turned, and she is now a vampire. Their appearance, for the most part, the vampires look human. They're very pale humans, but human nonetheless. The exception in the first one is Pearl, who looks closer to Jabba the Hutt, is a massive Um, That's really the one exception in the first film. In the second one, we're introduced to a new strain of vampires called Reapers. They have an anomaly, they're born with this anomaly like Blade, but instead of being a daywalker like Blade, they're more animalistic, they're bald, they have bright eyes that are so icy blue, they're almost white, and they have a line down the center of their chin where their jaws actually split open to feed. One of the vampires in the second film, this is that Damaskinos. he looks more like Nosferatu. So picture Nosferatu, he's bald, he has pointed ears, two fangs, fingers are very long, fingernails are very long. They don't explain why does he look different from the rest of them. At first I assumed it was because he's so old, like he's an ancient vampire, but then that doesn't line up with with the third movie, I thought maybe the look is based on bloodlines like we see in Kindred the Embraced but Nisa is his daughter and she looks human, so that doesn't make sense then at the end of the second film we learn that the original Reaper vampire is actually the son of this bald vampire, so maybe that's why the Reapers are bald, I I don't know it doesn't make sense, so we're just gonna move on and then in the third film the vampires bring back yes, you guessed it Dracula and then when we first see him, he is monstrous. He's, like, covered in these spikes and spines and stuff. But apparently he has the ability to transform, and then he becomes, you guessed it, a super hot dude. Because why not? So um, that doesn't totally line up with the whole, like, ancient vampires look more animal. I, I, I don't know. So we find out later on that Dracula is the is apparently the origin of the species. But... We're going to get on to that later on, so for now we're just talking about appearance. Let's talk about fangs. Two sharp canines, exactly the way I like it. The fangs are always visible, so we know that they are not retractable. Blade does have fangs, and since we're talking about fangs, there's actually a scene in the first one where Frost rips out the fangs of another vampire like a trophy. So that was interesting. Now we saw that in True Blood, but that was a punishment. So that vamp couldn't feed until the fangs grew back. Um, In this one, they kill that vamp right after they pull his fangs out. So I have to assume it's a trophy. Now the Reaper vamps in the second one do not have two fangs. They have these jaws that split in half and then they become very, very wide. And this barbed uh, proboscis comes out and and latches on to the uh, host and feeds that way. Then in the third movie, inexplicably, some of the vampires have top and bottom fangs like werewolves. And again, we could argue that it's a bloodline thing. I don't know. And then one vamp has silver fangs, but it couldn't be silver because they can't handle silver. So we have to assume it's some different type of shiny metal. And we have to assume he like made them like caps because it would make no sense for someone to have actual metal fangs. Unless somebody in the design department was like, you know, it'd be super cool if he had shiny metal fangs. Just, I don't know. So we're going to assume this guy's a badass. He's like a henchman and he went and had caps made to go over his actual fangs, whatever. Blood is a must in this universe. We see a lot of blood in these films. The opening scene shows a blood club where the vampires are dancing and the sprinklers kind of rain down on them. Um, blood plays a very major role in the stories. In the first story, Blade's blood is the key to bringing back this like ancient vampire god that Frost wants to resurrect. Um, and they want his blood to create a day-walking species. So blood plays a really big part in these films. And then in the third film... Um, They need Dracula's blood to create the virus that will kill vampires. So there's a big theme of blood running through all three of these films. As far as food, um, we never see the vampires eat. As a matter of fact, in this universe, garlic does repel vampires. When, when, When one of the characters is bitten in the first one, they actually inject her with garlic to stop her from turning. In the later movies they have a more sophisticated way to cure vampires, but in the first one they inject her with actual garlic, which must hurt like hell because I know what garlic does to my stomach. So I can't imagine it in vampire veins, but yeah, that so garlic is a thing. The sunlight also very big plays a very big part in these films. Sunlight does fry vampires in this world. We see a vampire die by sunlight and he sort of like falls apart before he bursts into flames. And the reason Blade is called the Daywalker is because he is able to walk in the sunlight. The vampires are looking for a way to be able to also walk in the sunlight like him, which would pretty much make them unstoppable. So they are trying to get a hold of him and create um, a way that they can be in the light and they think that he's the key to that we do see a scene of the vampires out in the dawn and they're covered in this thick, thick sunblock. I assume that only works in the coming dawn or dusk because before the sun is fully up, they've put on like biker helmets with visors and they're completely covered. But then later, Frost is out during the daylight with this thick sunblock on. Um, And then for the Reaper vampire, sunlight is the only thing that will kill them. And then we see Dracula in the third one walking in the sunlight. And we can only assume that's because he's the original and he's a total badass. So we assume that's why he can walk in daylight. Over the course of the three films, we actually see really cool ways that the hunters use UV to fight the vampires. There's UV flashlights, UV bombs, UV arrows that kill the vampires. They're all really cool. There's like a UV bow that she could shoot arrows. It's the way that they use UV and these movies is very, very cool. As far as sleeping goes, they have to sleep out of the sun. Um, Blade actually shows someone glyphs on buildings that indicate to vampires there's a safe house nearby in case like, let's say you're out partying, you're drinking humans, you know, you're having orgies and you're like, oh no, it's super close to dawn, what am I going to do? I'm far away from my lair. Well, you find this glyph and it tells you like, here's a safe house for vampires when they need a place to rest. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, We see that Frost's house is locked down during the daylight. So um, in in the nighttime, as the sun is gone, we see these metal plates fall away from his windows and retract. So they must go up at the dawn and pretty much shut the whole house down. But then on top of that, we see that he has a bed that has like a lid on it during the day. So he's double protected. As far as holy items, crosses don't work on these vampires, so we can assume that holy water doesn't either, so we'll move on from holy items. Um, Rules. So we see a child vampire, so we know that there's no rule for turning kids. Um, We also see that there's this ruling council, and they are made up of vampires who are born versus vampires who are turned. And they serve as sort of the lawmakers and the punishers for the others. But of course, Deacon Frost starts to take them on by one by one because he's the big rule breaker and, you know, he pushes against the authority. And so um, we see the council all get murdered at the end of the first one. It doesn't appear that they really need to be invited into places. As far as I can tell, they cast reflections, they can cross water, all that stuff. So it doesn't appear like they really have any rules. Their powers, they're strong, they're fast. They're essentially immortal, but that's pretty much it. We don't see like mind control or flying or calling animals. The only time we see anything like that is Dracula in the third movie. He's able to transform his appearance to look like other humans. Um, and that's that's kind of the powers, that, like the vampiric powers that we see. How are the vampires made in this universe? So this is going to get a little convoluted, so try and follow along with me. In this universe, there are essentially two types of vampires. You can be born a vampire, or you can be turned. The ones who are born vampires are sort of the elite class, and they kind of look down on those who are turned, and they're turned with a bite. Once you're bitten... You don't have to, like, ingest vampire blood. You just have to be bitten and still be alive. It can take hours to days for the process to complete and for the human to be full vampire. Now, in this time, I guess the hunters are able to kind of stop it from happening if they inject you with garlic. Um, But then by the third film, there's actually like a quote-unquote cure because Hannibal King was a vampire and then he was cured. Now there's an exception to these two. In the first film, they mention this third type of of vampire and it's a vampire who was turned, but for whatever reason, they go horribly wrong. So they are more like zombies um, or an animalistic vampire than an actual vampire. So they are like locked in pits and they just care about feeding. They'll eat animals, humans, other vampires, they don't care. Um, And so we see that happen, and they don't exactly explain why. Even the vampire says, we don't know why some of them just turn out wrong. Um, They never fully explain it, but we're just going to assume you're bitten by a vampire, you survive the attack, and you turn. Now, in this world, there is a quote-unquote vampire Bible that chronicles their history, and Frost mentions this in the first one. And he is using this Bible to resurrect a vampire god, so that implies that the vampires originated from some type of ancient gods, because Frost even refers to them as his ancestors. But then, in the third film, we learn that Dracula was in fact the first vampire, which doesn't really make sense. But then they say that um, they say that he was born in ancient Sumeria. And then they sort of imply that he was like, well, they say he was worshipped as a god, but they kind of imply that Dracula was only one of his quote unquote identities. So I guess he's like changed his identity through the course of time. So we're going to assume that Dracula was only his 1400 uh, identity and he had one that was pre, pre everything. I, I, I don't know. So then the vamps in the third movie find him in this like self-induced slumber in Iraq. And in this iteration, they call him Drake. Okay, fine. So he is an ancient Sumerian God. He is the originator of the entire vampire species. We never learn how, well, how was he made then? Was he just born that way? Um, and now he's called Drake. So whatever, he's a super hot dude named Drake. This is, I guess we're just going to accept that. Um, The other thing is, in the second film, we discover towards the end that the Reapers were not actually a genetic anomaly, but they were the result of the vampires genetically engineering them. So the vampires, we find out in the second and third film, are messing with genetics, they're splicing DNA, they're working to try and create the perfect vampire species that is allergic to silver and garlic, I mean allergic, immune to silver, garlic, and daylight. Um, But because they're like tinkering around, they've created these reapers and these reaper vamps feed on other vamps and they spread really, really fast. So now the vampires and Blade have to work together to wipe out the reapers because the reapers will wipe out all vampires and then they're going to turn on humans. So it's just bad for everybody. Sorry, I know that was a lot, but it, it... I was taking so many notes as I was watching these three movies. You would have thought I was in a college lecture trying to keep track of uh, all of the different stories about where vampires came from. So how are they killed? Um, In the beginning, pretty simple. Stake to the heart, beheading or sunlight. We see the vampire that's lit on fire but survives it and then heals his burns, so we know he has regenerative powers. We also see him regrow a limb, which is pretty badass. Um, in the first movie, one of the characters is sort of dabbling with possibilities for a cure for Blade and discovers that EDTA, which is an anticoagulant, reacts violently with vampire blood. So they fill syringes with it and use it to fight the vampires. When they inject it into the vamps, they explode. So we see a couple vamps killed this way, and then inevitably that's how Frost is killed. He gets like eight of them injected into him. Now, the reaper vamps are immune to garlic and silver. The EDTH does not kill them, or EDTA does not kill them. It's only sunlight that stops them. So we see a reaper vamp blown up by the sun, and like half his head is still remaining. And the eye is blinking and looking around. So that's how um, tough these reaper vamps are. And then in the last film... Inevitably, the humans create an airborne virus that will kill vampires, but it needs Dracula's blood since he was the original. So they stab the virus cartridge into Dracula, which mixes in his body and then is expelled from his mouth into the air as airborne particles. And so then it creates this vampire-killing airborne pathogen. It kills Dracula. It kills all the nearby vamps as it's spread through, like, you know the air conditioning system, and all this stuff. So you just see all these vamps die. So that is another very convoluted uh, description of how the vampires can be killed in this universe. All right. So let's talk about tropes I love and tropes I hate so i love the idea of born vampires i love and we have seen this in other things too where you can be born as a vampire or you could be turned into a vampire um i've read this in multiple series i've seen it in many many movies but i just love the idea of that i also love the blood clubs or like vampire businesses i talked about this with uh true blood i've talked about this with The idea of like vampire run businesses, I just love that. And I also enjoyed the the whole like branding the familiars with glyphs to mark them as your property. But I think what I loved the most was the vampire dogs. There were vampire dogs in the third one. So like I said, they're tinkering with um, genetic engineering. And one of the things they did was they injected vampire DNA or blood into dogs So they have two vampire Rottweilers and a vampire Pomeranian, which is amazing. I loved that moment. I could have watched a whole movie about the vampire Pomeranian. Tropes of hate. The sunblock working to allow vampires out in the sun. Absolutely ridiculous. So you see him slathering sunblock on himself in the first one. And then he's out kidnapping children in the sunlight. And then you never see it again. Why? Why are we going through all this? Why are we going through all this engineering? Like, just slap on some sunblock and go out and do your thing. I don't understand. It doesn't. It's so stupid. Um, either you can be in the sun or you can't. End of story. Like, why are you chasing down Blade to get his blood to make you immune to sunlight if you can literally just go to Walmart and buy a shit ton of sunblock and go outside? Um, and guys, listen, I love Dracula. But them pulling him into this universe at the end, hated it. I actually forgot that part until I was watching the third movie and they were walking into this cave in Iraq. And I was like, oh, that's right. They bring back Dracula. I must have blocked that out. I mean, listen, Dominic Purcell, super hot, but ridiculous that they pulled Dracula into this. Hated it. So are the vampires good or are they bad? Clearly the vampires are the bad guys in this universe. We don't even see a single one that is fighting to maintain their humanity or is on the road to redemption or helps Blade or anything like that. They are the villains, end of story. Only the humans and our hero our hero who, who yes is half vamp, they're the good guys. So it's a very clear like good versus evil story. Classic, right? So at least that part wasn't convoluted. (laughs) All right, guys, let's get to the ratings. How scary or evil are the vampires of the Blade universe? So the vampires, I have to admit, are a very solid threat to humanity. There are thousands of them. I think in the third one, it's um, Hannibal King who says, Oh, you've killed a couple hundred? Who cares? There's thousands. So there's a lot of them they live under the radar they snatch up humans they even have these blood farms which i'll talk about Uh, they are bound by the sun but apparently they can slap on sunblock so are they truly bound um and there are hunters out there killing off vamps but there's still a force to be reckoned with we see a vampire regrow an arm that's chopped off he comes back from being set on fire so they are very strong they are without any regard for human life. They are actively working on making themselves stronger and able to be in the sun. They're summoning gods, they're resurrecting Dracula, they're working with blood and DNA. And they, like I said, there's these warehouses full of comatose humans that they have snatched up, put into a chemically induced coma, and kept alive specifically to harvest their blood. They have infiltrated local businesses, politics, and law enforcement. So I give these vampires 8 out of 10 stakes to the heart for evil slash scariness. Like solid solid problem for the human race. And if we need like an amped up damn just to take out a couple hundred then we're in big trouble. How sexy or alluring are the vampires of the Blade universe? Sex is clearly a part of these vampires' world. Frost's home appears to be a never-ending orgy. They're essentially feeding or rubbing up against each other. (laughs) However, you see Dracula dressed as essentially a wet dream. He walks into a vampire store, there's this super hot goth girl, and he shows zero interest in sex, despite knowing that she would probably give him whatever he wanted and he just spent centuries in in a sleep coma he wants nothing to do with steamy sheet time so clearly he does not give a crap so they seem to have two settings sex or violence however I am giving them a 4.5 out of 10 onks for sexiness and appeal yes frost is still in my opinion one of the sexiest vampires in movies but the reapers do pull down the overall sexiness score for the vampires of this universe and the humans do not seem to be like drawn to the vampires they're not pulled in by desire they they're just straight up kidnapped and attacked and harvested so i think while yes these vampires might be sexual Some of the vampires, like I said, the Reapers, not at all. Dracula, not at all. While yes, they may be sexual, it's pretty much only with each other. And um, they are not, I mean, we see it if you think of like vampire diaries or you think of um, true blood. You know, humans are drawn to these vampires because they're so alluring and they just exude sensuality not in this universe that is not happening so 4.5 out of 10 onks for sexiness and appeal what are my thoughts so i i'm sure a few of you are interested after uh i shared my thoughts about morbius i think i've made myself very clear that i don't hold back when i talk about uh, my thoughts on these things i i am very passionate about vampires and vampire Um, film and TV and movies and books and all that good stuff and um, again this is my podcast so I'm allowed to share my opinion so here we go here are my thoughts I saw blade in theaters when it came out in 1998 I remember how much I loved it 24 years later it is still an awesome movie I loved it in the late 90s I just rewatched it now in, in 2022 and I still enjoyed it Plus, so did my teenage daughter, so it doesn't just appeal to those of us in the 90s, but it appeals to this generation in you know, 2022, whatever they are, Generation Z or whatever they are. To this day, the Blade soundtrack is a great way to get yourself pumped up for a heavy lifting session. The jokes are still funny. The action is well choreographed. Um, Most of the CGI holds up very well, while a lot of it is not. It's just good old makeup and acting. I couldn't believe how many faces in these movies I recognized because they have gone on to be very famous, so clearly the casting department knew what they were doing. The second I think is the best of the three, Um, and feel free to reach out to me and tell me what you think, but I think the second had the best storyline, had the best action, I was the most interested, Um, Dracula as the ultimate enemy took me out of the universe a little bit. It didn't really line up with the whole Blood God storyline from the first one, um, but I forgive them for that. I I love Whistler. I think he's one of the best sidekicks ever. I think he's such a good sidekick. Um, These movies really brought a new twist to vampires when they came out. So you have to think about this, 1998, 2002, and 2004. So they're just after Interview with the Vampire and Bram Stoker's Dracula. They are the same time as the Buffy TV show, Queen of the Damned and Dracula 2000. And then a few years after that, Twilight comes out. So in the midst of these sexy vampire romances, Blade flipped the script made vampire hunters um you know the badasses made vampires these like hunters that only care about blood they do not care about like getting sexy with you they are not anti-heroes they're not sensual by any means it was like matrix meets vampire so um it is i think very very hard to bring comics to the screen and make it appealing to those who love comics and those who have never even touched a comic book. So, if you can appeal to both audiences and you can also make a movie that can be enjoyed by horror fans and action fans equally, then you got something. And Blade did that. You know, these three movies were good movies for anybody. You didn't have to have watched the comics. You didn't have to love vampires, you didn't have to like horror, you didn't have like... There was something for everybody. It was funny, Ryan Reynolds was so good, he's so funny. Um, I mean I knew when Blade 3 came out and I watched him, like uh, let's mention that freaking 8-pack, but um, when I watched him I was like, oh that guy is going to be so big. And of course he is! Um, and think about this a movie that is loved by teenagers in the late 90s and teenagers in 2022 like that is something so bravo to the makers of blade i think that they brought vampires to people that never would have watched a vampire film and that is really something um and for the makers of blade for everybody who is involved in Blade, i am sorry to you about morbius because morbius like just pulled down the whole vampire world in the Marvel Universe. What a shame. Let's just all agree um, to pretend like Morbius never happened. Let's pretend that Blade 3 was the end of vampires in the Marvel world and and that's it. We're just gonna we're gonna block that other one out. Everybody, are you with me? All right guys. so that is the blade trilogies. Blade one, Blade 2 and Blade Trinity. Um, It's always hard to talk about a series of movies because it can get very lengthy. There is a lot of note-taking when I do this. There's a lot of starting and stopping and pausing and rewinding because you do want to keep track of everything that's happening in the course of these multiple movies. So this is good practice for Underworld, which I do want to do, and there's a bunch of those. So eventually I'm going to have to set aside a whole weekend, Just stay in my vampire jammies, uh, have some snacks, and watch all of the Underworld movies that is coming in the future. Uh, In the meantime, uh, the next one I'm going to talk about, I hope everybody enjoys, it's a step away from Marvel. Um, And if Marvel ever does another vampire film, um, oh, oh, speaking of which, I can't believe I didn't think to mention this, you guys know that Blade is coming back, right? Like, I think, let's check, I'm pretty sure they're working on it right now. It's been cast, and they are resurrecting Blade. I believe I talked about it in the first episode of this this season, when we were looking ahead to all the new uh, vampire things we could watch out for, that Blade is coming back. Yes, it is. So right now, plot is unknown. They're working on casting. But yeah, guys, look at how Blade is coming back. So as soon as it hits theaters, I will be in the front row, uh, ready to go and ready to do Marvel Does Vampires Part 3. So, uh, yeah, I can't believe I didn't think to mention that. So I will be back for that. Okay, I think 40 minutes is enough. I I think I've spent enough time in the Marvel Universe for now. I'm going to take a step away from Marvel and go back to the classic kind of vampires that I love. But, I love all of you even more, and I wish you wicked hugs and bloody kisses. Good evening. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So normally this is the end of my podcast, but I had to come back because as soon as I clicked stop to the recording, it freaking popped in my head. The Volturi. The Volturi was the name of the ruling group of vampires in the Twilight universe um and christopher hayer was in that and also in blade so there you go guys i know you were screaming at me probably the whole episode the volturi i knew it would pop in my head oh my god all right guys now i'm done bye